Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I fell in love with myself dancing in a gay bar in Nicaragua called Lollipop. Inside the club, it was loud, with sounds of rigaton and American pop. The disco light was strong and transforming. The dance floor was full, and boy, people could move. It was sexy. I was in Nicaragua studying abroad. When my friends and I walked into the club, not any, everyone in our group knew I was gay. For that reason, I was hesitant to start dancing and especially to dance with another guy. Should I just stand by and watch? Or maybe just dance for one or two songs? This moment was like so many I had experienced before. I desperately wanted to be courageous so I could be myself and not hold back. For years, I was confused about who I thought I was and who I thought others expected me to be. This didn't give me the opportunity to love myself. In the process of trying to figure me out who I was, I became a really good liar. I would lie to my friends and to my family, and I'd lie to myself. I lied to make everyone believe I was straight. But that night at Lollipop, something changed. I let go of those lies. I pushed myself onto the dance floor because that's where I wanted to be. I moved my body, let my hands soar in the air, danced with others, and danced with myself. I felt joy and simple happiness. This moment for me was the first time I chose to radically love myself. There was no masking who I was or trying to pretend I was someone else. I was there, on that dance floor, and I was me. I was the white American boy in this gay club in Nicaragua with awful dance moves and a horrible singing voice. But that night, I didn't care. I was in love with everything that I was, and I couldn't help but smile. Dancing was about moving my body and finding my spirit. Lollipop represented a sense of being in the moment, an opportunity to let loose, and it was a safe place from the outside where I struggled living my truth. That night in Lollipop has long passed. But I don't have to be on the dance floor to live my authentic self. I take the lessons I learned that night at Lollipop and try to incorporate them into my life today. I remember loving my imperfect dance moves when I'm feeling like I need to write the perfect paper for grad school or say the smartest thing in that meeting. I remember the feeling of jumping onto the dance floor and how it felt freeing when all I want to do is hold back, just observe, and feel comfortable. I remember how I need to create more moments like that night at Lollipop in my life today. So I return to the dance floor. I return even if it isn't on a dance floor, but in my kitchen. I return to the dance floor because dancing sustains me and makes me smile. I return because the struggle to find joy and radical self-love is not over. 
I return because our world just needs more dancing. Come, let us worship together. So I don't know how it is for you right now, but I know that for myself, I've been talking to a lot of folks recently who are feeling just a wee bit fried. Now, maybe it's because most of the folks I'm talking to are parents of school-aged kids like me, and maybe they've moved through the initial push of getting themselves and the kids back onto this regular routine full of earlier mornings and rushed evenings that are packed to the brim with homework maybe or hockey or after-school care and hopes of this elusive family time of real and deep connection that's jammed in right between the pickup and the drop-off and making dinner and dishes and bedtime. So what I've been watching is that the new routines have been taking hold with no small amount of effort on everybody's part. And what I'm hearing is my friends and myself taking a deep breath and sighing and saying, oh, this is it. This isn't just an initial push. This is my life. <laughs> this is like the next nine months of our life. This busyness, this worry, this weariness, this exhaustion, this is how it is. I've been hearing about picky fights with partners and coworkers, about a growing edge of anxiety, and my favorite, this declaration that came from a friend of mine that, well, she's just gonna have to put aside taking care of her own self, her body, mind, and spirit, until her kids turn 18 or they're launched one way or the other. And then I've been hearing from other folks, well, they can't possibly pause to take care of themselves in any way until this presidency and these policies are over. So for the activists or the parents or both, God help us. We have a lot going on. And I will admit that I know these feelings pretty intimately. I know the feeling of being stuck in this state where things feel overwhelming and awful, and sometimes they really are. And in that moment, all I can see are the false starts and the failures, the wrong choices. It's in those moments when the lure of Netflix has taken me away from my moments of high resolve, and I find myself there, awake again, exhausted, feeling unfit, not yet ready to become and to be the person that I want and need to be. And I've been wondering as I've been thinking about this and listening to my friends and as I've been putting these things together to share out loud with you too, I've been wondering if this ability to say, oh, I'm just going to sit back and sit this one out, I'm too tired or too weary, actually comes from a position of privilege, of a position of my whiteness, and that it is that that gives me this luxury of saying, not me, don't send me. So I've been wrestling with all of these feelings and thoughts. I've been wrestling with the words of the author, Annie Dillard, this realization that there are no innocent ancestors out there, that we, like all generations, have come at an awkward time, that not one of us has a pure heart or a clean hand to send, that perhaps all of us feel at times too weak or involved to seek the thread of life and love and possibility. I'm hearing these words, feeling these feelings with new ears, and I am welcoming in the wisdom of the black poet, prophet, mystic minister, Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman knew the realities of the whole human condition, of what it was like to live in this world. He worked all his life to offer a posture, a way of being, that would support both a liberating spirituality, not just for the personal, but also for societal transformation. 
He knew that faith could be the sacred ingredient in a life that was both beautiful and harrowing. And he knew that faith could be the thing that would help a person hold on to hope and purpose and meaning to this quest to live with integrity, even in the most difficult of times. Thurman grew up nurtured by a maternal grandmother who had survived slavery. He was shaped by late night conversations at Morehouse College with his friend, Martin Luther King Sr. And he kept coming back to this question of what spirituality could say as he wrote to those who stand at a moment in human history with their backs against the wall. What could spirituality and faith say to those who are living in a moment in history where their backs are up against the wall? He brought this question with him on his travels to India to meet and study with Gandhi about how to form spiritually-based social movements. He brought this question with him as he was part of the first intentionally interracial congregation, Church of the Fellowship for All Peoples in San Francisco, and he certainly brought this question to his role as spiritual advisor to Martin Luther King Jr. And Thurman could distill his essential message down to this. It was a commitment to clarity and a commitment to integrity. He instructed us to trust that hatred in any form is destructive to both the hated and the hater alike, to love our enemies. Do not indulge in deception or dishonesty, he would tell us, even to save our own lives. Abandon any fear that we have of one another and put our faith in something larger, which he would call God. In all of his questioning and living and writing, Thurman explained that life under oppression offered no excuses for avoiding a path of creative, courageous integrity. He believed that only this life of integrity, a life that refuses to give in, as he says, a life that refuses to give in to fear, hypocrisy, and hatred, the three hounds of hell that track the trail of the disinherited. Only when we refuse to give in to those, fear, hypocrisy, and hatred, can we save our own souls and effectively push back against any oppressor. He recognized that no external force, no oppressor, could have any power over us unless we allowed them to destroy our spirit, our personal spirit, the spirit and soul of our community. So the effort, he would tell us, has to go into protecting and nurturing our spirits, acknowledging the beauty and brokenness of where we are, taking in every moment we can bear it to begin again. Now this time of year that we're in, it lends itself naturally to new beginnings and fresh starts. For many of us, it's the beginning of a school year for our children or ourselves, or maybe it's just a rhythm that is etched in your bones. For others, there is a push right now toward political involvement with the elections not that far away. And for others, this is the literal time of new beginnings as we sit right now, right between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in the Jewish calendar, right between the beginning of the new year and the time of atonement and amends and starting again. Many of you probably know the litany that the Reverend Rob Eller Isaacs, co-minister over at Unity Church Unitarian in St. Paul, created to mark the inward turn that comes with Yom Kippur. The litany has us naming the things that we have done and the things that we haven't done, the ways that we've harmed ourselves and each other. And after each naming, the congregation says the following phrase together. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. 
The cycle of the spirit and the cycle of the seasons is inviting us to begin again right here, right now, right in this middle of all of it. Last week, some friends of mine told me about an experience that they had had recently at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. These friends are regular attenders and they've been sober for some time and they go to this particular meeting where many of the folks have known each other for years. At the beginning of the meeting, there's a time for anniversaries where people stand up and help one another celebrate various lengths of sobriety. You hear from people with one year or five years or 20 years or six months of clean time and each person that celebrates says a little bit about how they did it. But last week, my friends said something different happened. After the regular anniversary celebrations were over, a woman in the group stood up hesitantly and said, I have kind of an anti-anniversary. I know I've been here for years and I've been telling you that I've been sober, but I've been lying. I've been drinking for a while now and I can't stop. I need help. She sat down and put her head in her hands and the room literally erupted in applause as folks were grateful and appreciative of this person's honesty. People reached out to put a hand on her shoulder or brought a box of tissues. They slipped her their phone number and told her that they were so glad she had come that day. They offered to take her to treatment and reminded her what a gift she was in the world. And then just as I can imagine this woman was feeling about as low as she possibly could about what she'd done, this man that nobody knew walked over and said to her, I know this moment feels awful to you, but from where I stand, it looks really good. You're telling the truth. Now you can start. I'll tell you, I love this. I love this story and I love this way of being. I love hearing how we can, in fact, hold the paradox of we love you exactly the way you are and we are here to help you get better. It reminds me so much of what we are about as Unitarian Universalists and Universalists in particular. This inherent knowledge we have that each and all of us are whole and holy and worthy just the way we are, paired up with this imperative, this spiritual imperative to keep on learning and growing no matter how long we live. When we put these two things together, they are an incredibly powerful mix. It's unconditional love paired up with a swift kick in the pants. It's perfect. I love this. This is what I think church can and should be for us. And when we do this, when we pair these up, there are so many possibilities, so many ways to start again right here, right in the middle of a life or a legacy or a line of humanity and history, right here, right now, starting again. Now, it seems to me that there are a couple of key ingredients to any new start, though, and I've heard them running like a river through the work of Howard Thurman and Annie Dillard, through the stories of tired families and overwhelmed activists, in the rhythm and ritual of the religious cycle of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and from veterans and newcomers alike in AA. If a new and true beginning is to take hold, whether it's in ourselves or in our community, we first have to take stock of where we are, and what we've been doing. What have we been up to? And what are our ideals, our hopes, our aspirations, and deeply held beliefs, and where are we? As the black liberation theologian James Cone would say, where are we in relationship to the actualization of our dreams? We start when we tell the truth. We start when we acknowledge our weariness or our worry, our privilege or our oppression, our wish in the world that there has to be somebody anybody but me to send. 
We start when we see the beauty and the brokenness of all of it, no matter how painful or how stunning it is. And sure, it sounds simple when I say it out loud, right? Yeah, we'll just tell the truth and take stock and start over. But we know that when it comes to living a life of integrity, it is anything but simple. It's anything but simple to start again in this world where the pressures of domination push down on us in different ways. It is anything but simple to protect and nurture our spirits when the powers that be seek to extract the life out of us in service to the comfort of a few. It is anything but simple to begin again in love, again and again, with ourselves and each other and this world. So I'll tell you what I've been trying lately. It comes out of this piece of writing from the author and activist, activist Aurora Levins Morales, and it comes from her blog piece that was titled The Ahavta. Now, I think it's important to know that this word, the Ahavta, it refers to a specific morning and evening prayer in Judaism. So I invite you to hear her words that way, with that knowledge that the Ahavta is said twice daily. It bookends your waking hours, beginning and end. So this is what she writes. Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out and when you return, in times of mourning and in times of joy. Inscribe them on your doorposts, embroider them on your garments, tattoo them on your shoulders, teach them to your children, your neighbors, your enemies, recite them in your sleep, here in the cruel shadow of empire. Another world is possible. Thus spoke the prophet Roke Dalton, she writes, altogether they have more death than we, but altogether we have more life than they. There is more bloody death in their hands than we could ever wield unless we lay down our souls to become them, and then we will lose everything. So instead, she says, instead, imagine winning. This is your sacred task. This is your power. Imagine every detail of winning, the exact smell of the summer streets in which no one has been shot, the muscles you have never unclenched from worry, gone soft as newborn skin, the sparkling taste of food when we know that no one on earth is hungry, that the beggars are fed, that the old man under the bridge and the woman wrapping herself in thin sheets in the back seat of a car and the children who suck on stones nest under a flock of roofs that keep multiplying their shelter. Lean with all your being towards that day when the poor of the world shake down a rain of good fortune out of the heavy clouds and justice rolls down like waters. When you inhale and when you exhale, breathe the possibility of another world into the 37.2 trillion cells of your body until it shines with hope, then imagine more. Don't waver. Don't let despair sink its sharp teeth into the throat with which you sing. Escalate your dreams. Make them burn so fiercely that you can follow them down any dark alleyway of history and not lose your way. Make them burn clear as a starry drinking gourd over the grim fog of exhaustion and keep moving. Hold hands, share water, keep imagining so that we and the children of our children's children may live. These words have been with me these last few weeks. And I've been wondering, what if 
What would happen if we really inscribed these words on our hearts, whispered them to ourselves and each other when we woke up and when we fell asleep? What if the phrase we remembered was as simple as that? Another world is possible. Another world is possible. And what if each of us began again, each in our own way, each with our own efforts of truth-telling and courage and integrity, living as we can into that vision? What if we imagined winning in all of the detail? What if we escalated our dreams instead of our fears? What if we let our dreams burn as clear as a starry drinking gourd over the grim fog of exhaustion as we kept moving together? holding hands and sharing water so that we and the children of our children's children might live? What if we decided to hold hope with our flawed and faulty ancestors, all of us human beings, not gods, all of us perfectly imperfect human beings, full of longings and hopes and false starts and failures? What if we remembered that we were one part of a very long line each of us building on the mistakes and the movements of those who have come before us, each of us surrounded by a cloud of imperfect witnesses as we find ourselves here, weary and worried, beaten and bruised, yes, but each of us still thankfully awake to the possibility that things could actually be different, more holy and whole and full of joy. Another world is possible. I know that it will look different for each of us, how we move toward this. I know it will look different for all of us, but I know that all of us can do it. We can nurture and protect our spirits. We can begin again in love wherever we are with whatever it is that's behind us or in front of us. So as you head out into this week, my question is, what will this look like for you? How will you make it true that another world is possible for you, for your family, for our community, for this world? How will you start again right here, right now, right in the middle of all of this mess? Will you sign up for a small group? Will you restart your daily spiritual practice? Will you work to make someone smile on your way to the bus tomorrow morning? Will you intentionally interrupt the predictably racist uncle you have over dinner? Will you harbor someone with love who needs you? When we are feeling overwhelmed or weary, we can pause and take a deep breath and trust that this is not the end of the story. Wherever we are and whatever it is that's going on inside us or around us, this is not the beginning and it certainly is not the end. We are right in the middle, co-creating our lives and our community's future with all those who have come before us and all those who are pulling us forward. We are ourselves one part of a larger whole, right here in the middle of it all. So let us begin again, and again, and again, and again, in love. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ. that's F-I-R-S-T, UNIV to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.